Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you for joining us, Seth. How are you? I'm I'm uh, hesitant. You're hesitant. My heart is melting within me. You're hesitant for harem. I'm hesitant <laughs> to talk about harem. Uh, yeah. So this is a special episode today. Yep. We are about to get into the, really the first conquest narrative mm-hmm. uh, in the Book of Joshua uh, in the Battle of Jericho and in the Battle of AI, followed by many more. Um, and before we did that, we kind of wanted to answer an objection people commonly have to the book of Joshua in general, but Christianity kind of as a whole. Yes. Like, is God guilty of genocide? Mm-hmm. Um, because he commands for the merciless slaughter of men, women, and children. And a God who does that is not worth worshiping. That's kind of the most blunt way to yes. say say it. And the book of Joshua is used as proof that God is a merciless God who commands the slaughter of men, innocent men, women, and children. Yes. Um, and by implication, sometimes even that that means this is the reason why the Crusades happened, and this right. is, and then that means also God could command the same thing today, and Christians would yep. go out and do it. That's right. So th- that's kind of all on the table, and we wanted to kind of clear the air before we talked about all that. Um, and then so and talk about that question. Yes. So this will be a, a different episode than tip than, than normal one because we're kind of taking a whole idea rather than just a specific text, mm-hmm. and two it'll be intrinsically more controversial and a little probably a little more deep than normal. We we, we might be getting into like like logic, <laughs> philosophy. logic. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> logic, philosophy, <laughs> things like that, in order to address this question. Uh, views, you know, like theology, views about God, mm-hmm. uh, all of that. So, buckle up. Yeah, uh, let me say at the outset. Yeah, you know, get your notes app ready, or your pen and paper, or your email, or your voice memo taker. Oh, and if yeah. you have any questions about this uh, as you listen, which I hope you do, um, email them to us at info. Or nope, not that one. Different, different Podcasts. email. Podcast at spokengospel.com. Podcast singular. Podcast at spokengospel.com. What send happens us your, if they send, send it to podcasts? I don't S. think, I think it'll bounce. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, no, like random, like person out there. I don't think so. Collecting. We own the domain. So, uh, <laughs> and so anyway, uh, so type out your, your, um, your question and we can read it on air when we answer it, or even better use your phone or your computer to record your voice asking the question yourself. Uh, so we can play it on air and kind of everybody can hear your voice and yeah. hear your question. So anyway, um, and if you can let us know where you're from when you do that, and we'd love to know where you are in the world whenever you ask that question. So, Seth, when we think about this question of is God guilty of of genocide? Yeah, is uh, that's the question we're answering? Yeah. Okay. We can answer that question. <laughs> where does this Where does this conversation start? Like, I, th- I think meaning like in the mind of the question person asking the question or in scripture like yeah i I guess where's the battleground that we're going to here like like what's the question we have to answer the linchpin of the argument it's the the idea is god's not good if he commands these things okay that's interesting yeah like I i think that's what's on the line yeah and by extension if god's not good he's not worth trusting and neither is his word right um so there's like the our view of scriptures on the line our view of god is on the line and even like some in some sense like our ethics are on the line like right. do we do the same things now and i feel like that do we do the same things now and just because god commanded joshua to destroy uh men women and children in jericho does that mean we should as well i think like that's the easiest one to answer mm. just by virtue of god makes gives different commands to different people at different times under different circumstances and we're just none of those things apply anymore mm. And there's a difference between reading about God doing something at one point in time and then prescribing it for a different point in time now, especially after um, a new covenant era. So like we have a covenant that God made with Abraham to give them the land. 
and that covenant is being fulfilled in Joshua's leadership. Right. But in Jesus, the land that we have been given has already been given by virtue of Jesus's death on the cross. Yes. The whole world is his. We already live in the land and we are going out and proclaiming the gospel as a new type of not conquest, but yes, conquest. Yeah, conquest against, like, but against it, spiritual enemies. Like it's spiritual enemies yep. and the darkness that's of, pushed back yeah. by the words of the gospel. Right. You've been saved from your sin by the acts of Jesus. Yeah. Repent Paul, and believe. Yeah, Paul <laughs> says in the New Testament, like, our weapons are not against flesh and blood. You know, those aren't our enemies. But instead, they're against any thought, even, any thought that yeah. would put itself against the gospel of Jesus. Like, so yes. we're going after logical arguments that... Yeah are opposed to the truth statement, Jesus is God who died and rose again. So the really simple answer to people who say, well, because God commanded it here, he must be commanding Christians to do it now, is simply like, I just don't think, that's not the way the Bible presents its own commands. That's not the way covenants work within scripture. Um, I think I think there's a clearer way to, 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 I think there's a straighter line to draw because I think it can be confusing to say, well, like, yeah, God commanded that then, but he doesn't now. And it's like, well, why? How do you know it stopped? Like, I just think it, yeah, yeah. it adds more questions okay. than it answers. I think a better way to say it is what you've just said, is that the reason why the conquest of the land is over is because the conquest of the <laughs> land is over. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> the conquest of the land was um, a, a physical um, project of a much larger spiritual physical reality. Like the land being this Garden of Eden um, 2.0 was to be taken over and it was given to Abraham, but it was inhabited. Like people had stolen the land that wasn't theirs anymore. And so they had to drive them out. And then those that weren't driven out, they had to utterly destroy so that they could dwell in this land, make it pure and live with God again. Garden 2.0. Right. They failed that project. And so Jesus comes and he does it differently. He does it by dying on the cross. Being haremmed himself. Yeah. yeah, Devoting himself himself to destruction. He and, is God's yeah. child that is destroyed. Right. So, and, and and he he gives us a new heavens and a new earth, yeah. a, a, a Garden of Eden 3.0, you know? Yeah, and yeah. it's like, the, the job is done. So it's like, while, yes, it's very helpful to have conversations about, like, what Old Testament commands are still in place today, I just think there's a shorter line to draw. It's right. like the conquest of the land is over because the conquest of the land is over. So we don't do that anymore. Yes. And um, and so anyway, I just think that's really helpful. The other thing to, to name uh, in that, and if you're listening to this, you're like, they're never going to get to my real problems. Right, yes, right. we are. Yeah. We're just dealing with the lowest hanging fruit first. Yeah. The other thing is like, there's a difference between prescription and description in scripture. Description meaning describing what's happening versus this telling happened. you to do it. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, this happened versus do this, mm-hmm. right? This was done instead of do this is mm-hmm. kind of the, the difference between description and prescription. The Bible can describe things happening like polygamy, right? Without prescribing that you do polygamy, yeah. that you have multiple wives. Yeah. And so... Um, uh, anyway, that's like, yeah. and the narrative will also tell you whether yes. something or not is a good or a bad idea. Yep. And polygamy, the, yeah. pa- the the patriarchs that engage in polygamy end up having pretty terrible home lives. Yeah. <laughs> like the narrative self gives you God's judgment of what's happening there. Anyway, yeah, so, most of the time, most of the time, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm like thinking about like David's polygamy and mm, having trouble seeing, except the loss of his kingdom, I guess, like the broader narrative. Yeah. Anyway, anyway it, yeah, but, unimportant. Yes. <laughs> The, the the conquest is the over conquest because, the conquest is over because the conquest is over and the conquest isn't for us because the commands weren't given to us they were described to us mm-hmm. and so it's just different it, so okay that was one of three things you listed and yeah. I feel like that was the easiest one to that deal was the with one to that do. like hey like let's not have the argument be well we can't have the conquest of Canaan in the Old Testament because then we could just do that today and that would be messed up it's like no you're missing the point yeah so that's not it so the other two things you said were uh, it it puts God's goodness on the line. Yeah. Right? Is God good if he commands the slaughter of innocent children? Yes. Uh, uh, and then it yeah. was our understanding of God's word as like truthful or authoritative okay, right. for us. So which one do you want to do next? Because those are both really important. Yeah, and I think they kind of blend together okay. a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I so I think I think one, the conversation could go if it was the, the, the scripture is on the line, the conversation would move toward... Um, Author, like double authorship of scripture, dual authorship mm-hmm. of scripture. Did God write scripture? Did man write scripture? Did they write it together? Yeah, some people try to solve the problem of God's commands to Joshua to kill men, women, and children uh, by saying, well, that's 
Well, God is one author of scripture and man is a secondary author of scripture. And the secondary author of scripture can get it wrong or can uh, import his own selfish, foolish, Mm -hmm. bloodlusty, cultural cultural ideas onto it. And while there is a divine good principle that God was is communicating through yep. the authors of scripture, it's tainted in some yeah. way. It, the the worst example of this uh, in popular and scholarly literature, if you can call it scholarly. Uh, the most egregious example. The of most this. egregious example of this is Gregory Boyd's um, crucifixion of the warrior If you can't God. tell by David's voice, <laughs> he is unimpressed <laughs> with Boyd's arguments. <laughs> uh, yes, I am. Uh, I've yeah, read it, very unimpressed with his arguments. It, it's funny because his first chapter sounds like a chapter you and I would write, and then it just goes... We'll go south. Bonkersville. Um, so anyway, and his it, argument is that, that um, God would say say something to Israel like, hey, you should go live in Canaan. Mm-hmm. And his intent was, like, go be light there. Like, mm-hmm. m- you know, hang out Image there. Image the sacrificial love of Jesus by yeah. dying for your enemies. And through that process, you would take over the land. Exactly. Or like, or not even take it over. Just or, go live there. Just go be a light. Just go, that's an yeah. evil place. You're good people. Go be in that place. And they heard that and said, oh, well, the only way to go live in that land is to kill everybody there and take it. And yes. then brag about it in our in our God documents. Like, yes. that's his argument. Yes. And that severely erodes the traditional understanding or even the biblical understanding yeah. of scripture. Um, what it does is it yeah. says that scripture uh, really can't be trusted as an as a place that we can understand God's thoughts clearly. That's right. It's not revelation. It's not revelation. Right. It's the it's the report of revelation through sinful means. That's and right. our job as a reader of it is to kind of dig underneath the surface of the text yeah. to figure out the divine meaning. They call they call it getting behind the text. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one way to do it. I, I, I think that undermines <laughs> our view of scripture and a lot of Christians view of scripture. Yes. And because it seems more, pl- I'm trying to <laughs> phrase, it's like, I think there's an easier way to mm. make sense of what everything that's happening. Like, I believe, along with Timothy and Paul, that these are God's words. Yes. And they are for our building up and for our edification Mm -hmm. and for our encouragement. Um, And I don't feel the need to get behind the text in order to feel encouraged by it. Yeah, I just need to get in the text. I need to get in the text. Yeah. Um, So, and I think that's where where we want to land. If we get in the text enough, is it encouraging? Is it good news? Do we have mm-hmm. to abandon scripture in order to like make us feel morally better by our own right. standards of 21st century morality? And I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with killing innocent babies is wrong. Like, I mean, that's a pretty universal standard of morality, mm-hmm. but the our reticence to engage in warfare are like the, the fact that we're not constantly, we don't have enemies on every side that we don't live in a society where we're constantly at war with warring factions. Like yes. that all informs like the way in which we read these commands in yep. ways that we don't always recognize being in a, in especially for us, a, a white Western bubble makes reading passages like this far different. Yeah. Yeah. Than it would for people. And so I think what ends up happening in a lot of cases like Boyd, they take all of our cultural presuppositions Mm -hmm. and then say, well, let's let's make our cultural presuppositions fit within the framework of scripture and behind the scriptural text are all cultural assumptions. That's right. And so I think the better course of action is like, what are the Bible's cultural assumptions? Mm -hmm. What does the Bible actually say? And then have the courage to be open-minded enough to allow the Bible to speak on its own terms and not for us to speak in our culture's terms. Yes. Make the Bible speak on our culture's yeah. terms. Yeah, and I think that should correct us on two fronts. One should be when the Bible confronts our cultural biases and says, like, hold on, you're made, like you you're you're offended here, and there's a reason. It's because I'm trying to confront you with something, right? So like yeah. when we talk about genocide or whatever, it's yeah. definitely going to be something that yeah. bristles, and yes. it probably should. Um, the other side of that is I think maybe where people have swung from is God commanded it, so I do it. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like a blind reading of mm-hmm. Scripture. So, and like, you have that examples in human history. Yes, like, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's like we're trying to. I, but when we say get in the text, we mean responsibly and mm-hmm. like 
what, what, why did God do this? Why did God actually command this? Why did Joshua yeah. carry it out, and why is it good news? I think oftentimes we use ex- stories like this as reasons to get out of the text or to be afraid of the text mm-hmm. or to like have alternate interpretations of the text. But traditionally, I think it hasn't been an under-reading or an over-reading of Scripture that has led to some of the abuses that we've seen right. in, the Christ- in Christendom. It's been the fact that we haven't engaged with it deeply enough. That's right. I think the Crusades are evidence of the fact that those leaders didn't read their Bibles deeply enough. No. Not that they held to them so tightly that that's caused them to do that. No, I think they were misreading the Bible to uh, affirm their own cultural assumptions. It's almost as if people who might fall under Boyd's camp are are rightfully critiquing the crusades and mm-hmm. saying you are baptizing your own bloodlust and yes. and inculcating god in that to give him to get his stamp of approval on this military campaign you want to go on and like but, that's what happened in the crusades yeah but that's not what happened in joshua and yeah. so like he's importing his and, problems with the crusade is critique of the crusade all the way over to joshua right and he's using the same logic of the crusaders like people who are would say that no 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 our our cultural understanding of this text is informing our reading of Joshua therefore Joshua tells us to go to battle yeah Boyd says no our cultural understanding of the reading of Joshua tells us battle's always wrong all the time right so it's just a different form of yep. reading presuppositions into the text that's but right it's the same logic mm-hmm. uh, when you want to see something in the Bible you can often find it there yes <laughs> uh, and not like and not to like pick on Boyd like he he represents a larger broad like body of scholarship that yes. is problematic and right. I'm sure he's a lovely man. I've never met him. I'm sure he is. <laughs> we would, like I said, we would see eye to eye on things like Christ and all of scripture, um, like things about like mm-hmm. how violence should be viewed. And yep. like the, he wrote a book called the myth of the Christian, Na- the myth of the Christian nation about America. It's really interesting. Oh, I read that. But like, yeah, things like this are a little problematic. So I, I think we can say then, so like, does it impinge upon our reading of scriptures? Not necessarily. Just because on the face of it, God commands Joshua to do something that contradicts our worldview doesn't mean scripture is automatically thrown out. That's right. I think it invites us into a deeper study of scripture. So really then the conversation that's on the line is, is God good when he commands something uh, like genocide? Okay. Uh, So the first thing we should just say is God never commands genocide. That's right. That's the question (laughs) I wanted to ask you was, what does God command? Because it's... I think one of the best things you should do when somebody brings up like a difficult question like this, you know, is like challenges your faith on something or challenges you something in the Bible, be like, okay, let's go there and see what it actually does say. So yes. like what does, when you say God doesn't command genocide, right. why do so many people think he does? What does he actually command? So it, it's in Joshua chapter six, the, the first, the, it's actually in Deuteronomy and we've talked about it in our Deuteronomy podcast, mm-hmm. but in Joshua chapter six, uh, what he says is this. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. So that's that's what Joshua 6, 21 says. Mm-hmm. And there's versions of that where it says something like, uh, killed everything that breathes, um, totally destroyed. Yep. I think some Bibles maybe translate annihilate. Okay. Um, so th- those are the words that are used. That's the phrasing that's used. So one, like, is that genocide? Right. Is that merciless? Are the people of Canaan innocent? Like the 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 the, the claim that God is commanding the slaughter of innocent people actually imports into it a lot of categories that are kind of unfounded. Okay. Well, one genocide yep. assumes the cleansing of a particular ethnic group. Two genocide uh, it, it assumes that the Canaanites were innocent. Right. Um, and it th- and three it normally implies some sort of like superiority on the part of Israel. Uh, as the the dominant or superior mm-hmm. race subjecting a, le- right. a lesser one, but none of that's actually true. Mm. Um, so it, so this is where we kind of get into like what does Scripture tell us about Israel? Okay. So Israel is actually the minority group, right? And they are refugees. Yes. The Israel in this stage of their history are more like the Uyghur Muslims or the Rohingya mm-hmm. Muslims yep. who have been ousted from their homeland and are trying to get back into it and being oppressed by a larger power like uh, uh, like China. Right. That, that's 
more analogous to the situation than uh, the idea of the Hutu and Tutsi Muslim, uh, mm. Tutsi Rwandans fighting each other over who is the who is superior. That's helpful. Like, I think I think even just having like the Uyghur people in China in my head versus Rwanda in my head yes. is helpful. Right, because what happens in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 32, God legally promises the mm-hmm. land of Canaan to Abraham. And his descendants. And his descendants. And I can say legally because God said it. Yep. God. And God owns the whole earth. <laughs> and God owns the whole earth. So yeah. whoever he gives it to, it's a legal deeding of yep. the land over to another people. It's been theologically deeded to Abraham. And then later in the Genesis story, it becomes earthly legally deeded yes. to Abraham. At the death of Joseph? Sorry. Sarah. At the death of Sarah. He buys a tomb for his wife. Yes. In the text itself says, in front of all the Hittites. Mm-hmm. So in front of all the tribes of the Hittites, which is one of the tribes that Joshua is going to conquer, they have purchased mm-hmm. officially deeded tracts of land in Canaan. Yeah, and there's a whole weird scene about this in Genesis. We talked about this in our podcast over a year ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it's this whole scene where he's like, trying to buy this land and the king's like no you can't buy it let me give it to you you're you're a good guy we go way back he's like no seriously i have to buy this land with money (laughs) and he's like people read this like why is he so adamant about this just take the just take the deal he's like because there needed to be an exchange of goods to to have not only the theological ownership of this land but also the legal deeded ownership of the land yes and this is even shown when abraham and lot separate and lot like chooses one section of land and abraham chooses the other what does that imply that abraham had the right to choose which section of canaan went to who Mm. and lot was asking for permission and abraham gave that permission Mm. so the arc of scripture up to this point is that no the land of canaan legally belongs to israel right um both theologically and like financially and geopolitically. Mm-hmm. That means that the Canaanites are actually trespassers right. on the ancestral homeland of an enslaved and oppressed people group because God even promised Abraham that's like, that is your land, it's legally yours, but you'll be a slave for 400 years to the Egyptians before you can go and um, conquer it. Yep. And, and depending on when you date the book of Joshua, interesting fact, the Canaanites were pro- the Canaanite cities they conquer, depending on when you date the book of Joshua, might have been Egyptian outposts. Mm-hmm. So to go back into and take over those cities is actually a form of undoing the oppression they experienced at Egypt's hands. Again, that's right. like a dating question, yes. which I don't necessarily am confident enough to do. Right. But regardless, regardless. Israel is taking back land that's legally theirs that's been taken over by an oppressive and larger group and they are an oppressed minority trying to get back into their homeland. Mm-hmm. So is that genocide? No, it's not. Is that merciless? Uh, I don't know if we. I don't, don't know if that answers the question. What does? I, I think you've answered. I think what you've done here with the geopolitical stuff, with the deed and who gave who the land and everything like that, you've answered the question of like, it, it would be irresponsible to throw around the term genocide here. Yes, because it just doesn't fit the category. Right. Is it the mass slaughtering of tons of people? Yes. Yeah. And that's what's still going to cause issues. Yeah. So like, let's let's table the genocide question. I think we've said it's categorically different than an ethnic cleansing from an oppressor to the oppressed. Yeah. That's- and that's just not what's happening here. You have a beleaguered, um, oppressed people reclaiming their homeland from oppressors. That's right. So it's like it's a it's an underdog story. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not colonialization. That's exactly right. So I just think that's really helpful. So this is not genocide. The the, the second question, uh, I, I'll save the innocent one to last, okay. maybe. Because I think um, that, yeah, anyway. The second question then is, who did they kill then? Right? Mm-hmm, like, who mm-hmm. who did they kill? I think is a really important question. Did they did they go into, when they, when they went into Jericho? Did they actually kill all men, women, and children? Yeah, and who was in the city when they went into the city? Yeah. I think those are questions I want to... To help understand that, you should go back and read Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 20 and Leviticus 18. Okay, why? Because those are the original places that God gives Israel the command to go and take over the land, and he gives them the reasons for it and how they're supposed to conduct conflict in the land. Okay. And so one of the things he says uh, in Deuteronomy 7 is that they are supposed to utterly destroy those who are in the land. Uh But before he does that, 
He also tells them that he will go into the land before them and send hornets. Yeah. Which is a really strange phrase for us, but it's repeated a couple different times about throughout the book of uh, Deuteronomy. And it's kind of related to the idea of like confusion and terror. Yes, which so, is a common thing God does to right. win battles. Yes. He confuses. That the, happens in Gideon's army. Mm-hmm. It happens in uh, AI. It happens in a whole bunch of stories. Yep. Yeah. God will just send something into the camp to make people start attacking each other or flee for no reason. Yes. Yeah. And God specifically promises that he will go before they get there. Mm-hmm. And we have proof of this when Rahab says, all the inhabitants melt in fear of you. Mm. So the idea is that God has promised to go into the land before them, stir up fear and confusion, and actually drive out some of the inhabitants before they even get there. Right. So this is promised in, in Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 20, and then it actually happens. When they get there, people are afraid of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is confirmed as well by the fact that once Joshua takes over all these cities— in the beginning of Joshua, at the beginning of the book of Judges, they're all inhabited again. Right. So the question is, well, if God, if Joshua utterly destroyed the Canaanites, utterly destroyed Jericho, utterly destroyed the Amalekites, why are they still here? Why are they still here? Yeah, and there's two answers to the question that are typically posited by people who want to affirm Scripture. Yeah. One is the argument you're building, which they is... They were driven they away. They were driven away, and then they matriculated back in. They yes. kind of trickled back in. The second argument is the hyperbolic argument Mm -hmm. which is that when the bible says utterly destroyed it doesn't mean utterly destroyed yeah it means like dude i devastated him i wrecked him i killed i killed him yeah like how'd the the basketball game go oh we killed them you murdered the other team right no No. we just beat them badly we just beat them badly and there's some evidence to suggest that i don't know if it's the most convincing evidence that we have but regardless the who is the the question is who are they who is israel going to battle against yes it's only the people that have decided to stay in the land after a prolonged divine campaign of confusion and terror on god's part before the army even gets there yes it's the obstinate it's the it's the um it, the it's, fearless it, it's the stubborn the it's stubborn the, well joshua will call them hard-hearted yes just like he called pharaoh hard-hearted right so what you actually and we also have really interesting stories coming up in the few podcasts from now where mm-hmm. the kings of the nations will gather together to fight them in this coalition and they're yep. described as hard-hearted well at the same time people like rahab and the gibeonites have their hearts melt within them have their hearts melt within them and then they join god's right. people just because this is another reason why it's not genocide. I don't want to step on no, episode no. six or you know or yeah, like yeah. chapter six or chapter nine, uh, but like this is another reason why it's not genocide is because people of that ethnic group are given opportunities yes. to receive free grace and mercy and be fully incorporated into the people of Israel. So much so that Rahab becomes the great 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 grandmother of Jesus. Yes. So this is not like it can't be genocide yes. if the very first city they go into we have this beautiful moment of salvation. Like, it's not genocide. It can't be genocide. It's the hard-hearted people that remain in the land right. after God's divine campaign against them. Mm-hmm. And then among those people, there's still opportunities for grace and salvation, right. as is the ca- case with Rahab. Even Caleb, who initially went and spied out the land, we're told that his mother is of a Canaanite, Canaanite. descent. Yeah. And then even when they had like the covenant renewal ceremony, when they've like defeated AI. AI and Jericho, and it will be in our next podcast, yeah. and they celebrate that God is given, giving them the land. We're told that sojourners and strangers are mm. part of the covenant renewal ceremony. So it's not the ethnic cleansing of a different nationality, race, ethnicity. It's God wiping out those who are hard-hearted against him and instituting a multi-ethnic people that are primarily Jewish right. to worship him in God's presence. Yes. That's what's happening. Okay. Not a genocide. (laughs) Right. Not a genocide. Not every single inhabitant that used to be in the land was probably in the land whenever the people came to wage war against it. Yeah. So it would have been like an abandoned land to some extent. To some extent. Mm -hmm. uh, Definitely not abandoned. You get body counts. Yes. Yes. Abandoned. I've just meant like a good amount of people. Some people left. Some people the left. The people who are there wanted to be there. Yes. That's all we need to say. Yep. We don't need to like say how many people left, what percentage of people left. The people there were given an opportunity to leave and, and did not leave. And they chose to fight God. That's instead. right. They just they, they chose to stand up against God. Yeah. And they lost. Yes. Um, 
Okay, great. And I, yeah, okay. I want to add one more thing. Go so ahead. one more layer to, so who is Israel attacking? Mm-hmm. We're, they're also attacking the morally corrupt nation of right. Canaan. Yep. So back in Leviticus, again, it kind of, and Deuteronomy, it details the practices of the land of Canaan and includes things like ritual, uh, prostitution, bestiality, incest, and child sacrifice. Yes. And this was so rampant that it kind of borders on criminal. It's oh yeah, like, these are these are like these are things that the UN would be actioned on to go right. into a, a, a. There's a whole civilization of people who are murdering their own children. We need to go and in and stop this. Conscripting their daughters to serve as cult prostitutes. Like, yes, this, it's. We would go stop this as yes. like um, like uh, there would be like American troops <laughs> yeah. that we would send in to stop something like this from happening. Can, like uh, insofar as you want to get mad, and we need to talk about this, mm-hmm. get mad about Israel killing children. You need to first be upset that Canaan was killing their children. Yes. Yes, most certainly. That's exactly right. And what's fascinating is back again when God promises the land to Abraham, he says the reason you're not taking the land now Mm -hmm. is because the sins of the Canaanites has not yet been filled up. Right. Which means God is actually waiting until the land of Canaan is sinful enough to justify military action. They, up to that point, they hadn't deserved what had come against them yet. And so God was withholding that and like... In mercy, in mercy, a, and yeah. giving people time to repent and change, and so when Israel finally comes in judgment and in conquest against Canaan, they deserve what they get. They deserve what they get. We even have a story in Genesis 34 where mm-hmm. a Canaanite king rapes a uh, Hebrew daughter, yeah, one Dinah, of Jacob's daughters, one of Jacob's daughters, Dinah, and then her brothers go out and attack that whole town after and, tricking them to be circumcised. Uh, yeah, after <laughs> tricking them to be circumcised. It's a crazy it's a story. story. Uh, and then God condemns them for that. Why? Because the sins of the Canaanites had not yet been fulfilled yet, and military action on that level was not permitted. It was not just. It was not right. So this isn't genocide. Who are we fighting? We're fighting the criminally, hard-heartedly, morally corrupt nation of Canaan who decided to fight God rather than flee for their lives. (laughs) Right. Yes. Uh, One last thing, I guess, to add on to that then would be that there's also a theological enemy like happening here where you and, and I, I don't like when when people talk about this as the only reason the conquest took place there are there are theologians that do this where it's that you back in genesis you had the nephilim and they intermarried you know mm-hmm. you had these god men kind of yeah, yeah, angelic yeah. superheroes An- the anakim the, the nephilim yeah. and they persisted you know into canaan and we have references of them goliath was one of them yeah he was a giant yeah anytime you read a giant you're talking about a descendant of the nephilim most likely yeah and so these were like superheroes you know in a sense like that yeah. were like half quote-unquote fallen angel half fallen human and it was like not good and they needed yeah. to be driven out from god's earth they were they right. were an abomination yeah they were representative of just how yeah. The, the sinfulness of mankind right. in the divine realm. Like, That's right. It's like and everything was broken. That They had all camped out in Canaan. Mm-hmm. Of course they had. Yeah. If they're God's enemies, they're taking God's land. You know, they're, you know, just like Nana Nana Boo Boo, I'm going to take your <laughs> land too. You know, that kind of thing. And so um, there's also a spiritual element of God conquesting his spiritual enemies, mm-hmm. uh, the, his demonic enemies in yeah. this conquest as well. So all of that is very helpful. But I, I'm still thinking in the back of my mind, and I'm sure our listeners are still thinking, but what about the babies? Yes. It still says that they killed young and old and men, women, and children. Yes. What about them? So a couple, so a couple things. One, this is where the, the hyperbole argument is, is, is helpful for a lot of people. Mm. When we say utterly destroy, kill men, women, and children, uh, there are a lot of texts within ancient Near Eastern literature that describe that same, they use that same language, uh, but it actually doesn't mean that. It's just a right. way that we talked about it. Deci- I decimated my opponents. Oh, so right. you divided them into 10 parts? No, <laughs> I like, I, I like, I like, I, I beat them 10 nothing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. So there, there's that. Mm-hmm. So it actually doesn't mean that God commanded the killing of children. It meant that the functional annihilation of that tribe. It was a cultural idiom to yes. talk about Completely, mil- com- complete yeah. military victory over an entire city. 
Yes. Like we, we conquered the men in battle, the women in their homes, mm-hmm. and by killing the man, we we cut off any possibility of them having future children. So we killed their children, yes. their potential children even. The other side to that is there's also biblical evidence for that. And so there is, so one, we have it in here, uh, Joshua utterly destroys Jericho, mm-hmm. Ai, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Ki- Kenizzites, yep. and then they come back in right. the beginning of ju- ju- Judges. Right. So they... He didn't completely wipe them out. Well, There's a whole yeah, bunch of people right. still left, but that's but that's that's shaky ground for me for the hyperbolic argument because yeah. of, presumably they left the land. That's right. And then or came back. yeah, yeah, for any reason, the hornets, God driving them crazy. Whenever they left, right. they saw an army coming and ran away, and mm-hmm. then came back to their city. So like all of that makes sense. Another is like they you have Canaanites in multiple cities, and so they killed. They utterly destroyed all the Canaanites in one city. And yeah, yeah, yeah. so people from other cities, other Canaanites from other cities came and populated that city again. Right. It's so like, hey, free housing, you know, <laughs> like they, so right, right, they right. Get, or like free fields and they, yes. they come and take up. The more there. compelling argument for me actually comes from first Samuel when Saul is commanded to completely destroy same words, utterly destroy, completely destroy the Amalekites. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't except for a number of oxen, sheep and the king, the king. Agag. Yep. Saul confronts him and asks him why he disobeyed the Lord's commands. Wait, who? Oh, Samuel confronts Samuel him. Samuel confronts yep. him and says, why didn't you obey the Lord's command? And, and then uh, the king, Saul, says, no, I did. I completely destroyed them except for these animals. And the king. And the king. And then when, as Saul, uh, Samuel responds to him, he never mentions Agag. He assumes the capture of Agag would eventually mean his execution, and he only references the animals as a, a um, as the problem. As the problem. So, what you kind of have evidence there within the Bible of utterly destroying could include that, or mm. couldn't include that. But even after that fact, and same, the story is Samuel executes. Yeah, Samuel ends up killing the king, uh, but then he and, said, decimating him, cutting him up into a bunch of pieces. But he also says so that your mother may be childless, right. assuming that his mother survives. So like per, that could just yeah. be a rhetorical could flourish. Could be another yeah, turn of phrase. The point is, there's contested evidence to say potentially mm-hmm. it's, it's an idiom. Potentially yeah. it just means destroy in such a way that they're no longer military viable. Right. That is a, that is a viable option mm-hmm. that you as a listener and a reader of Scripture and a lover of God and a follower of Jesus yes. can wrestle with. Yeah, and I'm honestly still wrestling with that. It feels pretty convincing to me. I'm reading a book right now called Did God Really Command Genocide by Paul Copan and Matthew Flanagan? Mm-hmm. And he wrote another one called Is God a Moral Monster? And that one kind of deals with more issues than just this yes. one here. Yeah, both really good works. Um, Super helpful. Yeah, I think we should talk about the other option. The and other, give, yeah. And give full breadth to it as well. So the other option is, assuming everything we've already said, mm-hmm. that these are the hard-hearted people that yes. have remained in Canaan uh, who refuse to repent. And just think about like, that that leaving that exodus from Canaan because of God's hornets, whatever yep. those are. Yep. Like if you have a family with small children and you hear about this encroaching army who's destroying all these major kings around you're you, you're going to run. You're going to run. Yeah. So the young and old children, like, so I want to say, like, the children element is probably fairly small. It, like, yeah. We it, hope to God. We like, like <laughs> it doesn't have to be for the strength of this argument. No, it but doesn't. Just, but presumably... It should be. It should be fairly small. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, all that's left is the hard heart in the land. And so the other side of this argument is that the language is not hyperbolic yeah. and that God did command the the killing of men, women, and children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's... Like, how is that okay? Because I think... And yeah. I think there's still really good answers here. Yeah. Um, uh, I think one... Uh, is let's let's kind of point forward a second here and just let's be equally offended. That's great. So let's point forward to chapter eight or seven mm-hmm. uh, seven in mm-hmm. Joshua, chapter seven in Joshua, where Achan is guilty of taking some of the devoted things yeah. uh, in the battle of Ai. He's broken faith with the Lord mm-hmm. and he's found out and he is burned up and stoned along with all his things, along with his, family. his wife and it says his sons and daughters. Yeah, but he—they didn't do it. They—they they weren't sinful. And there's yeah. no, there's no, there's the hype. The hyperbole argument would break down there. Yeah, his kids got killed and stoned yeah. to death by Israel at the command of God. Yeah, and so like we can try to like work our way around the men, women, and children argument, but yeah. like you butt up against it in other places in Scripture. Yeah, consummately. Because I want to make sure we're really yeah. clear what you're pointing out. What you're pointing out is. 
everything we said up to this point is true. Could it, yeah, right. This isn't a genocide. This isn't oh, right. yes. this isn't the merciless slaughter of innocents. Right. This is a hard-hearted remnant yes. who have sacrificed their children, done all these terrible things, and these are the remnant along with their families that are in the land. And to those people, God is saying, kill everybody. Yes. Kill everybody. Right. And it's only these people in the land of Canaan. Right. Nobody else. Nobody else. But let's even if all that's true, you still have to deal with the command to kill children yep. in a, in a, in a, in and in women. Se- and women in several cases. Yep. So how do we think about that even with everything else being true? That's right. And that's kind of the, what we're talking about right now. That's exactly what we're talking about. And yeah, I'm just saying like you even if you even you're going to bump up into this in other places in the Bible. Yeah. Right, the sin of Achan and his children dying, and ultimately, like when Jesus comes and like consigns people to eternal separation from Him, which would be far worse than dying by the hands of the Israelites in Canaan, uh, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm-hmm. Like it's just because you're a woman doesn't mean you're going to escape judgment. Yeah. You know, like you're like and that's just something you have. We, we, have we to talked deal about with. this previously, where it's mm-hmm. like if you're offended by the, this idea, you have to be offended by the idea that Jesus comes and judges, right? And there's a heaven and a hell at all. Exactly. Um, yeah. So it's just like, you, so let's talk about this. Like, mm-hmm. I think the this question of is God just to kill? Yeah, I think is really the question that people have trouble with, right? Um, and to kill anybody, you know, like God's loving; He's not going to mm-hmm. kill. Right, and it just breaks people's paradigms of God, yes. um, whether it's in Joshua or in Revelation. Mm-hmm. Like this is a problem that yep. people have. Not, I guess, people's too broad of a category. Yeah, that modern Westerners have. Yeah, that's, with, that's true. Like the <laughs> idea that God is wrong to kill somebody is a recent, yes, philosophical uh, convention in only part of the world. In only part of the world. Some people, our friends in Africa, listening to this. Or some of our, we have we have a few listeners in in some like eastern parts of the world. They're like, I don't get the problem, right? Right. <laughs> and so, uh, like, they understand things like honor and shame, mm-hmm. and they understand judgment and death better and better than we better do. than we do. Yeah, um, they're closer to the Bible's context in these things. That's right. Than we are. Yeah. And so, anyway, so but it, it, that doesn't mean that we don't want to talk to you about this, <laughs> right? So, so yes, the really the really blunt way to say it is God can still be just and kill men, women, and children. Yes. That's the really blunt way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also, and the, But there are also different reasons why those things could be true and not be true. Yes. I think the children one, we can say on one hand, like we also have other texts of scripture that talk about the fate of children. Yep. Um, one, the first one I think about is the Ten Commandments, mm. when it says, honor your father and mother. And we assume that's talking like seven-year-olds, but it's yeah. actually talking to grown adult children. To take care of their elderly to, parents. To their elderly parents. So like one, and I haven't actually seen a lot of scholarship on this, but when the Bible says children. What, who is it talking about? Who is it talking about? Right. And honestly, like there's, that, that can mean anybody that's not married yet. Yes, it can. It, yes. And so that could mean that a lot of women took their young children out and that we're not really talking about infants, 10-year-olds, six-year-olds right. at all. Right. Uh, but but even, even if we were. Even if we were, we also know from scripture that God judges us according to our misdeeds. Yes, that's right. We don't have a God who punishes us unjustly. That's right. So if there was a moment in which God commands Joshua to kill a three-year-old, mm-hmm. personally, I wouldn't expect to see him suffering eternally. In hell. <laughs> yeah, it's like... Yeah. I, if anything, I think there's grace here, Yeah. right? Which is if if God did command the killing of babies mm-hmm. of three-year-olds um and like we have other things that we've said here that's like maybe that didn't happen mm-hmm. but if it did i think there's still good news here that like uh we believe that babies who die children who die before they've reached a point of being culpable for their willful sins yeah like will not be held accountable like before god they'll be loved and forgiven and like be with him forever yeah because they have no reason to be judged yet you know, and so, yeah. and so it's just like you have these people. These, we can bank oh, on the mercy of God in that case. Yes, because yeah. and you and the reason why that's good news is because you have these children who would have grown up in a Canaanite false religion. They might have been sacrificed themselves by their own parents mm-hmm. to some false demon god. They might have escaped the fires of sacrifice and grown up to be a Yahweh hater and Canaanite God worshiper, and then they would have been consigned to eternal separation from God. And so it's like, there could be 
grace here that God is saving children from ultimately eternally walking away from him. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, I just want to name, like, it's hard for me to even hear that. Like, yes. even like having studied this, knowing the different options available to me, like I could abandon scripture and just read my own categories into it. It could all be hyperbole. It could be God is just to kill three-year-olds because he's just and good. And if he does right. it, it's good. I have a hard time with all of those options, yeah. including including this one. Yep. So it's like, I, I just want to be sympathetic too. It's like, if you're having, struggling with this. You're not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> and honestly, I think you're supposed to. Yes. The book of, jo- this doesn't repeat in scripture. No. What happens in Joshua never repeats. Well, it, it only continues in, I mean, uh, through David. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do we have the utterly destroyed commands in David? Yeah, David do. does. Okay. Yeah, in Samuel, you read about he he kills even men, women, and children as well. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah. And so you have to deal with this for a little while, but it does end, regardless of when it ends in yeah. Scripture. It, it does end. Yeah. Um. And yeah. And I think I think you're on to something here. Something we haven't talked about is why. Sure. Let's say it's let's say it's God's just and God's good, but why is it in here at all? Yeah. Like why God, why didn't God just drive everybody out by himself anyway? Yeah. Like why did we have to do it this way? Mm-hmm. And I I I feel very firmly that it's because it's meant to disquiet your soul. It's meant to mm-hmm. melt your heart within you and make you fear a God who would judge the world. Yeah. Like we're supposed to be afraid. Like yeah. God will there is a day appointed for judgment. And like, we're going to stand before that judgment throne and like reading stories like Joshua makes us know that our God does not take judgment lightly. Yeah. And like, we need to meditate on that as Christians. Yeah. We really do. We don't need to be afraid of God's judgment, especially as people who have his mercy in Christ. Mm-hmm. If anything, meditating on his judgment will make the mercy all, all that much sweeter and will make us appreciate what Christ did all that much more. Yeah, but it will also drive us out into the nations, like the spies went to Rahab with that much more zeal to say, "Flee from the coming wrath!" Like yeah. to be ambassadors, like Second Corinthians five says, and begging people to be reconciled to God. Like in any great even evangelistic movement, there has always been a compulsion from like wanting to save sinners from hell. Yeah, and that's become very demonized mm-hmm. lately. Yeah, 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 it really has, and like, um, and I think like we'll we'll end up paying the cost for that, at, like either as like we just languish in like zeal to share the faith, like share yeah. our faith with others, or like we just miss out on how great and powerful and just God is. Yeah, and like I, I we'll we'll pay the cost for it theologically, yeah. culturally. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess I think if I'm going to put the like just vulnerably, and maybe we can't answer it. But just like, why does God's justice have to be proven at the cost of a child's life? Mm. Like, why? Like, the point is made when he kills guilty Canaanites. I don't feel like it's made more clear when he kills a child. Yeah. Um, and like, part of me, even as I say that question, is like, man, I, I feel like I have enough good biblical evidence to say there were no children in Canaan. Mm. And it kind of solves the problem for me. And I feel like I have a lot of good biblical evidence, even like we haven't even talked about this, but like the primary way that Deuteronomy and Leviticus and even the jo- Joshua talks about it is driving out the inhabitants. Mm-hmm. And he drives out the inhabitants. Like uh, Adam and Eve were driven out of the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Joshua was driving out the inhabitants of Canaan. Like, I, I don't, like, I don't necessarily... Biblically, like, I think I can make a strong exegetical biblical case. Like, everyone in Canaan was guilty. Um, and there were no children that weren't morally culpable and committing bad deeds. I think I could get pretty close to there. So, like, why why do I, why does God's justice need to be proven? What am I missing? Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, I do know like, what you mean. Like, why yeah. do I have to have preserve God's justice to kill a child? Yeah, I think part of that is, well, one, I think we've... I think we're conflating two things. Yeah. So one is we're starting to ask the wrong question okay. of of God's justice. So we were kind of talking about how God's justice is a good thing mm-hmm. and we need to see it here. And like, that's why one of the reasons why it's in Joshua, it's not the only reason the conquest yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. The conquest of the land, I wouldn't even put God's justice maybe on the top three. Yeah. It, 
God's like, dwelling with his people. Yeah, there's a lot cre- of other yeah, things happening. Yeah. One of which is the purifying of the land, which is a concept that is just extremely foreign to us. Um, I mean, imagine the last time you read Leviticus, right? And how hard that was. It's because so much about it uh, of it is purity culture. And it's about like taking things that are and unclean. Not like evangelical purity. No, culture, no, but like, <laughs> not, no, like this not worth biblical the idea of like ritual purity. Ritual like purity, an ancient idea of biblical purity. Which like we just really, I've, I racked, we racked our brains when we came up with the the idea for the Leviticus video. To, oh, to yeah, try to, yeah. Do we have any modern analogs for purity? Like like clean spaces? Like right. not really. Like mm-hmm. we're like it's hard to it's hard to pray uh, in the same bed you committed adultery. That was like as close as we could get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that place feels unclean and like God wouldn't want to go there. Right. But like it's not it's not perfect because God would still meet you there. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. so anyway, it's like anyway, so there's this whole thing about like pure purity that's happening. The and there's another thing that we're very far removed from that our friends in the East are just not far removed from, and it's family like headship and and like mutual responsibility. We are an radically individualized culture yeah. that you only pay for your own mistakes. Yeah. You can't be held responsible for somebody else's. That is not true for the way that the rest of the world views everything. Yeah. You you bear the sins of your father. And we can ignore that, but like psychologists even in the West are yeah. being like, I mean, you're repeating the sins of your father, right. you know, and it's like it bears out in real life. And um we and like even God Himself in the longest self description of God by God in the entire Bible, which is in Exodus thirty uh, three or thirty four, He says, "You know, my name is Yahweh," and you know He's like, "I'm slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, but who 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 will by no means clear the guilty?" You know, and even says that like holding holding um, yeah. guilty the third and fourth generation. Yeah, and like there is a principle in in the way the Bible viewed the world that held children responsible for their for their parents or and, at least the sins the parents the were sins, transferred that's onto right. yes that's the, a better way to view it the like, guilt of the parent is transferred onto the child not that the child right is is culpable for the sins of the parent right which is also the reason why like the children of faithful israelites yes. were included in the covenant right. without ever being circumcised like right, right you know, or, like, yeah. or whatever and this goes all the way back to the garden of eden where you had two seeds like mm-hmm. genealogy is a huge thing for the Bible. Yeah. Like who's your dad? Who's your son? These yeah. are really important things for the Bible because it's all tracing back to the seed of the woman or the seed of the serpent whenever yeah. the human line was bifurcated into those who would be for God and against God. And here in Canaan, you have granddad, dad, and son all lined up and they're all seeds of the serpent. And there's a promise from God that that seed will be crushed. Yeah. And so like it's good when evil is crushed. And like we have a hard time, especially... We, we, we have a baseline in the West of human innocence. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way the Bible paints the picture of anthropology, of who we are as people. Yeah. Like, and, and it's like... Apart from Christ. Apart, apart from, from Jesus. Yes, yeah, right. We, are we just have guilty. a hard time being like that poor, innocent child. Yeah. And it's like, God can have a bigger view than that. Mm-hmm. And like, evil is bigger than that. And like, yeah. you can have evil kids. And like, that's really mm-hmm. difficult. Yeah, what you're also what, what's helpful about everything you just said too. It's like I think what I sometimes hear in the way this conversation happens is like we should see this as a reason to rejoice in the goodness of our God mm-hmm. rather than this is a reason to weep over the state of the world. Right. And so I think that's kind of like uh, also what you're doing is like the fact that a child is included in this command isn't to make us go see God is just right. proof that God is just. It's like this is how far the world has fallen. Yes, and uh, and the the reason why I feel so it feels so difficult to hear it is because that's what you're supposed to feel when yeah. you hear this is not the way the world's supposed to be. This is not the way that justice. God does not want his justice to be carried out on children. No, and that was not his intention no. from the beginning. He does not take joy in that. Like, um, yeah, I mean, God says in Jeremiah, I think like he takes no pleasure in the death of the guilty. Yeah. Even the death of the guilty yeah. doesn't bring him pleasure. He's not a masochist. Right. But he is just. And like, yeah, I think it's in the same way I'm thinking about like when you and I were doing the Ecclesiastes podcasts, mm-hmm. we would often get like 
we ca- be caught by our own tail. Yeah, and we yeah, just yeah. feel like we were swirling, and we're like, "Is it this or is it this? Is it A or is it B?" I feel like I'm contradicting myself, and we're like, "Oh my goodness, we're embodying the point of Ecclesiastes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we feel confused about life. Yeah. That's what Ecclesiastes is all about. You're supposed yeah, to feel yeah. that way. In the same way, we're like, I feel depressed about how the, horrible things are, and, and I want to, like, yeah, and I want to like talk about everything else except this. Yes, I want to like not, and that's what well, you're supposed to feel. Yeah, it's you're not, like, man, the world's not supposed to be this way. Yeah, this is really jacked up. And yeah. like, yeah, it is. But like, let the world be jacked up and evil, not God. Yeah. Like, that's really important to be like, don't yes. like the direction of your anger and frustration and sadness is being misdirected by the right. enemy whenever it's pointed at God. And you're yeah. like, I feel sad and angry when I read this. God must be evil. It's like, right. no, we are evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right, right. We are so evil that children, our children are being sucked into our evil. Yeah. Like let's mourn and lament and repent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly right. Like the response of the Canaanite would be like, like there is a sense where it's like, oh, uh, my children can do whatever they want. Mm. Like they're, I don't affect them. Right. There's a way to, to say like, I'm such an individualist and I'm so hard heartedly contrary to god that every it's me and him we're going to duke it out and i have no like it's almost a selfish way to view your family and your children as if your your posture towards god has no effect on them but i think that what you're saying even with an individualistic collectivist thing no your hard-hearted posture towards god has ripple effects down your genealogy Mm -hmm. and into your family and it's 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 killing them it's killing them yeah and that's the and yeah. Yeah. I mean, we see that bear out, you know, we do like in sexual abuse or mm-hmm. alcoholism, anger, like whatever, like we right. inherit these things from our parents, you know, and like it, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And I think, I think what's doing for me too, is like you, you said earlier, it's like, it's the God kills children can be good news for us. And I'm like, okay, I think I know what you're saying, but I kind of want to like pull back from that statement. Yeah. A little bit and say like um the fact that god commands the ch- killing of children it should cause us to weep and hope for the good news yes of jesus that's better and like because the good news of jesus is that all sins are laid on him on god's son on god's son on god's child on god's child <laughs> and all of our animosity animus hard-heartedness doesn't trickle down to our future generations when they place their trust in him right exactly like, what like i quoted that god will hold like, you know back in exodus mm-hmm. god will hold the guilty you know um that he'll hold them guilty for the third and fourth generation but he says that he'll bless thousands of generations it's like when we meet yahweh in the cross in jesus like not only are we saved but like we like thousands of generations after us there's a ripple effect like i believe in jesus because my dad believed in jesus yeah you know like yeah, yeah, yeah. because his mom believed in jesus because yeah. her mom believed in jesus we're obviously in second timothy with our church the other day and it's like your grandmother lois yes. and your mother eustace yes. a firm believer or eustace what's her name i think that's right eunice 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 like they're firm believers and so are you timothy it's like there's like yeah it happens um, yeah and so like they're yeah it, it makes us long for the good news like it makes us like long for yeah, the, the, the God know, child. Yeah, to know that the conquest works the other way. It's not the no. destruction of the sinful; it's the welcoming of the sinful in Jesus Christ. Yes, and like yeah. that's what it makes us hope for, and it should make us hope for that. And we should feel uncomfortable, and we should feel like this shouldn't be there because it shouldn't be, because the sinners are meant to come into the name of Jesus yeah. by His cross, yeah. by His resurrection. Oh. There we so <laughs> have we answered the question? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, we got kind of lost, but uh, um, we that was actually really helpful for me. Yeah, uh, just personally. Yeah, me too. I think I have, you know, I have like strong opinions about this. I've been thinking about this for a long time. Yeah, and I think I've even softened even through this conversation to some other points of view, um, which is really good. So even with computer sounds, did anybody hear that? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, uh, guys, again, I want to reiterate, like, number one, think we're just talking here. So like, we don't, we're not writing this down, editing it and then being like, 
is this canon? Is this like inspired law? Like, yes. show us a little grace as mm-hmm. we muddle through this, please. Um, and se- and again, send questions. Send questions. This is, so that's what I'm podcast yeah. at spokengospel.com. I'm sure we didn't answer yeah, all the avenues. But I think it'd be questions. really helpful to be like, what holes did did you find in our in you our? You just our dropped arguments? the word "God sent hornets" and didn't really explain it. <laughs> like so, yeah, yeah. So. And like what like like what what argue like what argument is most helpful for you and why? And what questions do you have because of it? I'm curious. Like we want to hear from you. So yeah, uh, just uh, send us a send us a line podcast at spokengospel.com. Thank you guys for for joining us today. We'll be back uh, in Joshua next week. Joshua six to eight. The story of Jericho. Yep. Story of uh, AI and. Aiken, a lot of these, we wanted to do this episode first so that we next can, week we could yeah. actually Because like, what's crazy is things. the idea that God is committing genocide is nowhere in scripture. It's not. Even the New Testament authors don't think of this as strange or odd. We think of it as strange or odd. Yes. And so we really wanted to get all these issues out of the way so we can just enjoy the book of Joshua yes. for what it is. Like the good news that God wants to live with his people and cast out the enemies yeah cast out people who are hard-heartedly disobedient yeah. and will corrupt us if they're still around like, right yeah, like there's good news yes so uh thank you guys for being here with us this week i know this was a, a rough episode and we both feel it we know you feel it but we love you uh we just we're praying for you we hope you're praying for us and uh we'll see you next week Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.